The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your host, Gary Putnick, and what a weekend of sports this past weekend, and whole week really in general. FSU earned their first win of the Mike Norvell era. The Heat aren't dead yet as they take Game 3 of the NBA Finals, and the MLB playoffs move on to the bubble for the Divisional Series, and the NFL hits their first roadblock when it comes to the coronavirus pandemic. We will get to all of that soon, but first, as always, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Austin Reynolds. Austin, are you worried? About the NFL, or? No, about your Braves. <laughs> about my Braves. And ah. my Marlins. See, I, I was looking at that, and I thought, <laughs> what, what what do I have to be worried about? Because, I mean, you usually pitch me something about the Falcons, and I'm not worried about tonight's game. I've already written that off. But I'm not worried about the, the Braves at all. I mean, I think this series is going to be fun. I think it's going to be close. But the Braves have had the Marlins number this season, uh, winning the season series 4-6. to six. And really, for recent history, so I have faith in my Braves to take home this series and get to the NLCS. But what is the Braves' record against the Marlins in the playoffs? Uh, it's not good. It's... What, what, what is any team's record against the Marlins in the playoffs? My point exactly. Yep. We'll get into a bit more MLB playoff and postseason talk later on the show. But we also have Sebastian Angeliano live on air in the tank. Your lightning, you, not just your lightning, your whole sports fandom and everything, you were hitting on every single line there. The Bucks won, the Lightning won, the Rays won. I mean, it's everything. How does it feel to be you right now, and what does this mean really for the whole area of Tampa Bay? So, first off, Gary, I have to say that I, 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 kind, I haven't peaked, but I, last week was kind of a banner week in my life. I... Hello? Yep, I, oh, okay. I can hear you. Sorry. Um, I, I can't hear you for some reason in my headphones. I'm going to try and figure that out, but keep talking and yeah, Austin can right. respond for me. I, okay. I literally could not stop catching dubs last week uh, for reference. All right, start up the week. Did pretty okay in fantasy last week. I know, small thing. The big thing was Monday night, obviously, with the Tampa Bay Lightning clinching uh, the Stanley Cup for the first time in 16 years. That's a It's a huge deal for me personally. Um, and involved kind of my, my midweek adventure, just taking a brief trip home and um, celebrating with my friends and family and then going out on Wednesday to uh, celebrate with the team as a, by attending the, uh, the parade there. Don't worry. I was very uh, cautionary in my attendance. I wore a mask. I wore um, apt protection, and I enjoyed myself regardless. Then it was a quick trip back home to uh, enjoy... Um, a brief uh, 22nd birthday uh, party of course, with happy uh, birthday. me and a few friends who were very responsible. Once again, uh, we, we took care of ourselves to enjoy responsibly at home within, uh, within reason. And finally, uh, you know, yesterday was a pretty big deal uh, for me as well with, with the Bucks winning, uh, the Spurs, Spurs thrashing Manchester United at Old Trafford, which was, which was really nice to see. Uh, and then, you know, closing out Sunday strong by t- doing my assignments, which was kind of hard to believe that I would keep up with everything that went on last week. I, I like I said, 22, ban- first week of being 22, kind of a banner week. I think there's only going to be three more weeks, which, which kind of match this. It's the, the day my kids are born, uh, the week that I get married, and uh, the next time one of... Uh, one of the Tampa teams wins a championship. This that that is a big top three right there. You're <laughs> listing out like or top four, I guess, because this would be in your top three or four. But like either way, that's a huge. This must be a huge week for you, and I'm I'm excited for you. I'm happy for you that you're doing well and that you had a great birthday. But we also have some other people on the show. We got Matt Povtak. We haven't heard from him in quite a while. He's one of the veterans here at V89. Uh, he's going to be coming on for the first half to talk some FSU football. Matt, how have you been doing lately? And give us one word in your opinion to describe FSU football so far this season. Hey, guys, I know it's been a while since I've been out there, uh, you know, with the pandemic and everything. But um, I'm doing great. Uh, uh, my one word to describe FSU football so far this season, it's sad, but it's going to be disappointing. Uh, you know, going up 13-0 against Georgia Tech, been blowing that lead, losing 16 to 13. Then the stomping we got from Miami, uh, 52 to 10, and almost a, I, I wouldn't call it a scare, but you know, going going down 14-0 against Jacksonville State, a team that shouldn't have crossed the 50-yard line against FSU. Um, 
you know, my word's going to be disappointing. It's, it's not how I expected the season to go so far. That's a fair assessment there. I mean, we'll get into a lot more about FSU football and how they played this past weekend against the Jacksonville State Gamecocks. But also, we have Bell Doggart here on the Twitter tonight, at talk underscore Tomahawk. So get on there, show her some love, and give her a follow. Uh, so let's let's start right where we left off with Matt and what he was talking about. Florida State football, first win of the Mike Norvell era, comes in a win against Jacksonville State, FCS Jacksonville State, 41-24. to This one looked like it was going to be bad early on. Florida State started freshman Tate Roadmaker from Valdosta. He came in his first drive, a little bit shaky. What you'd expect from a first drive out of a freshman for the first two plays. And then third and ten, was it third and ten or whatever, comes along, third and long, pass situation. He rolls a bit left out of the pocket. They're backed up against the end zone pretty much because of maybe not the best punt return from or kick return from Keyshawn Helton deciding to not call a fair catch and take it from the 25. But I digress. Either way, Roadmaker rolls to the left, looks down his receiver way too much, and the safety, or was the, I believe it was the linebacker, jumps the route and takes it all of like five yards for a pick six. So right then and there, Florida State is down early. And Tate, his, the rest of his drives just do not go his way either. There's one field goal, or no, there wasn't even a field goal on this. Uh, he, they punted all four times, or all three times, because he threw one pick in one of those. And just like that, in the blink of an eye in the first quarter, FSU is down 14 to nothing to Jacksonville State. Some a team of a lot of people, including us, did not really believe that was going to happen to even with how bad and how disappointing this Florida State team may be. They should not be getting into a 14 to nothing situation against an FCS school. But things started to turn, mainly because Mike Norvell makes the late or the decision in this game in the first half to pull Roadmaker and put in Jordan Travis. And this saved the game, let's be honest with ourselves. His first four drives, he comes out there four for four, four touchdowns on those four drives, including a 41-yard touchdown pass to Keyshawn Helton. I mean, who knew that he could throw 41 yards? And granted, it maybe wasn't the long, maybe it wasn't a perfect pass, but it's a 41-yard touchdown thrown by Jordan Travis, someone who's really only thrown the ball 24 times previous to this game. So he really showed up. I, in my opinion, MVP of the game, of course. I'm thinking a lot of people would agree with that, but... Florida State was able to respond, keep moving the ball downfield, and the defense started to actually get their footing and then make some stops against uh, Zarek Cooper, who looked great, in my opinion. He was, if the if Jordan Travis didn't come into this game, I really do believe Zarek Cooper would have taken over and it would have been his night, and rightfully so. He was looking pretty good. So I want to know with you guys, what were your opinions on this game and what, were you, how worried were you when Jacksonville State got up 14-0? Um, when the score was seven nothing, I wasn't all that worried because I mean it's Tate Rotomaker's first drive as an FSU uh, quarterback. He's gonna have some some jitters, and it just so happens that FSU was backed up close enough to their own end zone that it, it ended up in a pick six. So unlucky there, but like midway through the second quarter, right before Travis got uh, inserted, I was thinking back to what we were what we were saying about the Georgia Tech game prior to that game, like. If there is one game on FSU's schedule that we assume they would win, it would be Georgia Tech as far as ACC scheduling goes. And then we said the same thing leading up to Jacksonville State. Like, yes, they lost against Georgia Tech, but if there's one guaranteed win, it's JSU. And staring 14 nothing in the face, I was thinking we are going to have to face the music in the worst possible way Monday night. But Jordan Travis came in, saved the day, blew, I think, everybody's expectations out of the water, like you said. I never knew that he could throw more than 15, 20 yards downfield, so that was... That was a great thing to see, and just hearing from him and Norvell and all the confidence that his teammates and coaching staff had in the postgame interviews, that was that was really what made the night for me. Matt? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think when FSU goes down 14-0, I think everyone had the same, you know, stomach, stomach pain, uh, butterflies in your stomach. It's like, oh, no, not again. Like, what, what, what are we going to do here? But... Travis comes in the game and throws the ball. They let him throw the ball more than twice a game. And I think that's what he needed. He needed to get into some sort of rhythm. You know, people said that he can't throw the ball. Well, that's because he had one throw a game and he'd miss it because he wasn't able to get into a rhythm. You know, like you said, the throw to Helton might have been underthrown, but he at least got into a point where he was making the deep throw, going for it. And I think he actually had some great throws in this game to where – he, he for sure is my MVP of the game, like you said, Gary. And I also have another thing I would say. I thought 
our running back committee of Webb, Toafili, and uh, Corbin, they're, they're a one, two, three punch. I think they can be dangerous. I believe Alex Krutchik, former uh, V89 member, tweeted out Florida State has some running backs on this team. And that's something that Florida State hasn't been able to say for a while because it's always Florida State has a running back. And now it feels like Florida State can put together three solid running backs who can all get the job done. And you can always have fresh legs out there because when it was Dalvin Cook, when it was uh, Cam Akers, you always felt in the fourth quarter late in the game, okay, he's got to get, he's going to be tired. He's, you can't go to him every single play. But when you got Webb, Telefeely, and Corbin out there, you can rotate and you can have a good, solid guy back there every single play. So that's a huge boost of confidence. But I want to get back to what Austin said. He mentioned the kind of the facing the music when Jacksonville State got up. I was already starting to think, I was like, oh my goodness, we said Florida State was already at rock bottom when they lost to Miami last week. We're going to have to retract that statement and say, pull it back and say, now we're at rock bottom here at Florida State. But thankfully, Florida State was able to pull it out. It was all okay. But let's get a little into Roadmaker and how his first start. He's the fourth fresh, fourth true freshman to ever start for Florida State. He didn't look, he looked like a deer in the headlights, let's be honest. He did not look truly prepared to be out there. And maybe things like he was prepared before the game. And then once he stepped out into the field, he just kind of went blank and he just had a brain fart in a way. But what do you believe was in Norvell's decision making saying, okay, Roadmaker's going to be better than uh, Trevor here? Like, do you, do you see where he may have been going with that? I think so, because at the start of the game, I, I, I can see where Norvell would think uh, we're looking for a passing quarterback, a pocket passing quarterback, and Jordan Travis until like 4 30 5 o'clock p.m saturday evening didn't fit that mold so if you were gonna throw somebody into the fire not named james blackman and probably not named shovel purdy because he's still coming back from injury he was dressed out uh, working out in pregame warm-ups but we still don't really know for sure what his status is for game availability but if you were gonna throw somebody out it probably would have been tate rotomaker and i i mean like I said earlier, it's not surprising that he had those jitters. It is a little surprising that he was only able, he and the offense as a whole, were only able to muster about 60 yards in his time in the game. So, I mean, I, I can understand the decision. Well, even the fresh offensive line had trouble stopping JSU's pass rush. I mean, he was sacked a couple times, and you're just thinking, why is he taking those sacks? Just yeah. throw the ball away and keep the ball moving. It kind of looked a little bit like James Blackman in a way where same thing. he just ha- has that reluctant, he's reluctant to throw the ball away. And you got to learn, especially at that young age, you just got to take an L sometimes and keep the ball moving and don't lose yards because that's what he did far too often. I believe one time when Florida State got into uh, JSU territory, I think they got to around the 30 after a pretty good play. And then he drops back and takes about a 20-yard or 15-yard sack, right. which just kills any sort of momentum. And they got a punt later on in that drive. So it really does hurt when you kind of have that those fresh legs out there. And we all thought, okay, this is a great game to start any freshman because it's Jacksonville State. It's a FCS school. It should be Florida State should have the better athletes. <laughs> and it didn't look like it for those first four drives. So. I think Norvell really did make the right decision, and I, we all will agree he made the right decision in putting in Travis later on in this game. But I want to get to a little bit more on Travis right now. How how long do you think it, or why do you think it took so long for a lot of these coaches to realize, hey, we should just let him air it out? Matt, we'll start with you on this one because before this game, or before last season, or really the past two seasons, he had 11 pass attempts in 2019, and then 2014, he had 14. So And then he had 20 in just this past game, pretty much. So, Matt, why do you think it took so long for coaches to realize, hey, we should just let him air it out? To be honest, I don't know. Uh, this this is something, I think this will be a question that will be asked all year because he, he can throw the ball, and no one knew that. I think partially it has to do, I said it earlier, um, he threw the ball in the other games he threw and it would be his first throw of the game and he would throw it at the receiver's feet and it's like oh well we're not going to do that again let's let's run the ball because he is very elusive and with the read option um he's he's able to get yards without having to throw the ball so they never even wanted to try it uh i i like that this game forced them to try and throw the ball and we were able to see him get into a rhythm and get going and it's it's shocking that it took this long. 
you're, yeah, you're right. He needs to find that rhythm and understand himself. He is the starting quarterback right now, and no one. And there's not James Blackman coming in in three plays, and you got to make something happen quick, or else you're done. So I think he really enjoyed being able to have that sort of consistency in the knowing that he's going to be there for a bit, and. I, it's crazy because I really did think he looked solid in this game. And a lot of times, I believe it was the fourth quarter, he was rolling to his left. The defense thought he was going to run the ball because he did have some spacing. The corner steps in to protect the run, and he just dumps it off over for ten for a 10-yard pass there. Yeah. To I can't remember who, but he looked like a really good quarterback and a really competent quarterback too. And we can touch a little bit on the defense. The defense, like we said, we all thought this season they were going to be very good. We thought they were going to be the one saving grace that this Florida State team had. Once again, they just kind of looked lost in the first half. Like they couldn't really get make come up with big stops. They were letting up big chunk plays, whether it be running-wise or in the passing game to Cooper. And it took them all up until, the I think it was the third quarter, before they got a sack in this football game. And I believe they finished with only two sacks mm-hmm. against Jacksonville State. What? Where is the problem right now with this defense, Austin? And what do you suspect could fix it? I think they might just be in their feelings a little bit, as, as weird as that is to say, because they've had two really uninspiring performances against Georgia Tech and Miami coming into this game. So maybe Jacksonville State was sort of the, the remedy that they needed, even though that is just getting two sacks. Marvin Wilson got a sack. Uh, he missed He missed the first half of this game after the targeting call from Miami. So it was good to actually hear his name be called for something positive for once this season. Hoping to hear a lot more of that this season uh, as he did decide to come back for his fifth year. Um, but uh, honestly, I, I think they were just down on themselves. And l- like I said, Jacksonville State, you, you get the win. It might not be the best performance of your life, but it could be key to build up their confidence going forward into more ACC play. Matt, what are your thoughts on how the defense has been faring, or at least how they fared in this past game? Uh, I mean, they started out slow again. I And also, honestly, they didn't get much pressure on the quarterback. They haven't. The defensive line, you know, we talked going into the season, the defensive line was going to be our strongest point of this team with Marson, Marvin Wilson, as well as a couple other uh, players that could make impacts in the game. And no game this season have we been able to put consistent pressure on a quarterback. Uh, we got our two sacks at the end of this game, but the start of this game, they, the the, uh, the quarterback for JSU was able to sit in the pocket, look, pick out a target, and that's why I wouldn't put much blame on the secondary. Uh, Asante Samuel has been playing his heart out. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say that. He's been my defensive player of the year so far for Florida State. Um, but when, when a quarterback has enough time, he's going to find an open man. It's it's just common sense. And so the defensive line, I'm hoping at the end of this game, that was their, as Austin said, you know, their remedy to come out and start putting some pressure because so far it has not looked good. Well, you mentioned Asante Samuel. He's currently the NCAA, or the leader in the FBS with interceptions three in three games. I believe the next closest, it looks like Anthony Butler, Richie Grant, and then Brenton Nelson. So, it's, he's in a league of his own at the moment, so that's a po- that's a huge positive, especially because he had those two in game one, none against Miami, and then one against JSU. Austin, what were you about to say? Sorry, I jumped in front. Oh, no, I, I was I was just like echoing your your sentiments about Asante Samuel because he's been like the biggest contributor on defense by far. Oh yeah, for sure. So we can I do you, how do you guys have any last clo- kind of closing thoughts on this game for Jacksonville State and how they played? Oh, um, yeah, I will I will say this. I think that. In the fourth quarter, the third, fourth quarter, I mean, that's when we started to really churn, get some yards and some points. That look where we have Jordan Travis and you have either Webb, Corbin, or Toafili on each side, and you're running a read option or an RPO. I think that's that's the way this offense needs to run. I know that doesn't necessarily fit the perfect Norvell style. Norvell wanted a pass thrower, and I think he can. I think he can make it work with Travis, even though it's not maybe his his first choice. Uh, I just I just wanted to say that that like formation where they had each side running back on each side running a read option, I, that that's what FSU needs to stick to. Yeah, I agree with that because that's going to give a lot of teams more confusing looks, and that's Florida State needs to keep every single opponent they have right now on their heels, and they can't let anyone get that edge and know where they're going to be going with the ball because, in my opinion, Florida State doesn't have any one of those athletes other than uh, Tamori on Terry that you can say, we're going to go to this guy and good luck stopping us. Because not even the quarterback can really every single time put it in his hands to so that he can make that play. So that's a great point there. But 
Let's turn it over now to Florida State's next opponent. It is it is a doozy. Yeah. The Florida State Seminoles will be traveling up to South Bend, Indiana to take on the Fighting Irish. And this game will be at 7.30 p.m. on Saturday. Last time these two met, the Notre Dame took down FSU by a score of 42-10. to 10. And then Florida State will be coming in as 21-point underdogs. Big, big underdogs right there. So... Notre Dame in these in, has only played two games so far this year, and they've been out for two weeks since mm-hmm. those first two games. They've had some trouble with coronavirus and containing it. They had to quarantine 39 players from September 22nd to the 29th, and then before or this was mainly this came about after USF. They the infections came after that game. USF had their own issues. They quarantined themselves after this game, but. In those two games that Notre Dame has played there, 2-0, they won 27-10 in a shaky win against Duke, and then 52 to nothing against the Bulls of USF. For Florida State, playing against a team that has now been riddled with COVID or has been run through by COVID, do you think they come in with any sort of advantage, especially because they have been playing for these past two weeks, or do you think a rested, I guess you can, I don't know if it's really rested after being sick with this illness, but a team that has not played and maybe comes in maybe fresh. Do you think Florida State has the advantage here or not? It, it's tough to say. It, it really does come down to the rest versus rust argument. Is Notre Dame going to be fresh after these two weeks, or are they going to be missing the opportunity to play in a, in a real game scenario? I don't think the whole team is going to be feeling the effects of the, the COVID fatigue, I guess, because, I mean, it, it hits everybody differently. So some players could feel a little more fatigued. Some players could feel 100 percent after getting after getting over the virus um so my personal opinion is that i'm going to side with rest on this one the rest is going to benefit them especially because fsu has played two games back to back whereas notre dame is has not played in two weeks like you said so they have the superior athletes let's not front um and i think that two weeks of rest is going to do them wonders in this game as if they needed them matt well, Austin, you you said you went with rest. I, I'm going to go with rust. I think I think FSU has a chance to to put up a better fight against they did against Miami. I'm not going to say they're going to pull the upset. Uh, I think I think they could do better than they did previously. Uh, you know, as COVID is a respiratory illness. Uh, you know, conditioning and that that might not you know though FSU or Notre Dame might not be able to get stay in the game as it gets later and later into the game hopefully fsu is able to tire them out and you know with jordan travis running a read option i think that's the perfect idea because you you're able to you're able to get a tackle each play and you can then you can catch the safeties uh creeping in because the play action and you go out to terry I, I think i think fsu has a chance to do something with this game that they didn't before before i'm, I'm on your side with this one matt i like I like the rust here. The rust, is, or the yeah, the rust is going to have a better chance of uh, hurting Notre Dame in this situation because you don't see football. It's not like it's an, a buy, a real true bye week with this. They were in quarantine for a whole week for seven days until, or for some fourteen days, depending on if they had it or not. And when you don't see that, when you're forced to just watch film and kind of do active training that you might be able to do in your room or safely outside, away from a lot of people. It becomes more difficult, and we saw that really come about when it came to Navy football. Navy really struggled at their first couple games this season because they really were gung-ho on being sure there's no contact, no nothing when it comes to coronavirus, and their players are safe. Even though I would say Navy's probably in, Navy and Army are both probably in the safest bubbles right now in the in the, in the college football landscape, but. Navy was able. Navy came out so poorly against that game against BYU. I was confident in saying Navy really has a chance to beat up on BYU because of the triple option, because of the way that Navy runs their offense, and they just looked lost. And Navy could not find a way to tackle. And I'm not saying Notre Dame's not going to be able to tackle because that's just not Notre Dame. Notre Dame has better athletes all around than the Naval Academy at this moment. But I really do think there's a chance that. This whole lack of football and lack of contact is going to hurt Notre Dame in this game, and I don't know if they—I don't know necessarily if they cover this 21-point spread. I think it could be a little bit closer than that. But let's talk a little bit about their offense. Ian Book, their quarterback, he's been there for the past like three years. Mm. He is a solid guy. He is going to get the job done for you. But 
I don't really, in my opinion, he's not going to wow you. He's just a solid quarterback and a solid college quarterback. He had a good game against. Uh, he had a good game against Duke. He threw for over 200 yards and a touchdown. And then in the game win against USF, he actually threw for no touchdowns and around 150 yards passing. But he ran for three touchdowns. Yeah. He ran, but they were all goal line pushes. He had like nine total yards of rushing on five carries. So he really doesn't have the legs to truly beat you. But he does sort of worry me because he is one of those. He's a smart quarterback, and he will be able to get the job done. Is it going to be Ian Book that Florida State should be worrying about, or is it going to be their running attack? Because what I've also seen from their run game, it's pretty solid, and they got a few guys they can go to right now. Yeah, the USF game really convinces me that it's going to be Notre Dame's rushing attack that's going to be the main focus, because you see Sebo Flemister, he had 13 carries for 127 yards. That's almost 10 yards a clip. That is menacing. I mean, I know it's against the the the, the, oh geez, the USF <laughs> defense. I don't know what happened there. Uh, but FSU's defense, as we mentioned, is not really up to caliber for FSU. The defensive line has been uh, allowing rushers to do their thing for the past three games. So, I mean, much like the running game is going to be key for FSU to win this game, establishing the consistency with Toafili and Webb and uh, the other guys in the backfield, it's going to be the same story for Notre Dame. Matt, who do you got? Yeah, I definitely agree that uh, Notre Dame's going to have to, or Notre Dame's going to be trying to run the ball because FSU has allowed teams to run the ball all over them. Anytime, anytime it's been a third and short, I, FSU's let them have it. It's not even. It's it's kind of been disappointing because I've I, we expected going into the season that you know this D line was going to plug the holes. They were going to get pressure on the quarterback, and that's not what we've seen so far. Um, They'll have to really step up this game if FSU wants to have a chance because I think Notre Dame's going to run all over us or all over FSU. It's going to be the passing game for me. I mean, Florida State, their secondary is just, let's be honest, bad. Yeah. And Cyrus Fagan did actually lead the program today, according to a few sources. And Florida State, in their three games they've played so far, they've given up 277 passing yards, 267 passing yards, and 232 passing yards. So when you have quarterbacks from Jeff Sims, freshman, to Derek King, a really solid possible Heisman candidate at this moment, and then FCS quarterback Zarek Cooper throwing the ball all around the yard on you, you have a big, big problem. And that's going to be my huge worry for FSU in this game because if because Asante Samuel can't play everywhere. He cannot be all over the field. He cannot be getting you three picks in this game. And you that's just not realistic. So... You're going to have to have guys step up, and that's just something we have yet to see. Even the last season, there really were no guys that were going to step up on defense other than Hampson Nasraldeen. Hampson was that guy last year for Florida State's defense, and he just isn't here at the moment. So if the passing game just does not get bottled up or just does not stop, it's going to be a bad night in South Bend. And thankfully for FSU's sake, it's not going to be as cold this time around. Last time they played in South Bend in 28, I think it was 2018, right. yeah. It was frigid. It was snowing even at that. So this game will be around the 70s and or 50s to 70s. I looked at the weather earlier. So they have that huge upside for them at this moment in time. So it's I don't know, it's still the passing game that's always the one big question mark for me when it comes to FSU on defense. And you mentioned it actually before in your little uh, talk there, Austin. You said the run game is there. Florida State really has to establish this run game on the offensive side of the ball. Is there any, like, for me, it's still being able to establish a pass because if you yeah. can establish a passing game, you force Notre Dame to spread out, and that's when you can start to run that ball. So, Matt, what do you think Florida State's going to have to do offensively to try and get a win here in South Bend? I got one or one acronym I'm going to say RPO, run pass option. We need to use that play so much that we get bored because FSU gets uh, FSU has a boring looking offense because that's where FSU right now with the players they have with Jordan Travis at, at quarterback, uh, Webb Corbin and Toa Feely at running backs. That's where we have, we put our best players in the best positions to make plays because once that starts going, if we can get that established, then that opens the play action for plays like the long throw to Helton or the long throw to Terry. Tim Marion Terry needs to be more involved in this offense also he he had a great game last game but before last game against jacksonville state he i forgot he was on the team i didn't even remember i forgot he, he came back he, they thought we thought he was going to go to the draft and I, I thought he might have because i didn't see him in the offense at all 
Yeah, the, the the one concern that I have with the passing game, and, and I agree with you that the RPO needs to be a bigger part of FSC's offense moving forward. The biggest concern is that Travis, uh, Jordan Travis is not a seasoned passer yet. He had one strong passing game. So I think that Notre Dame is just going to be able to identify his areas of weakness and lock down on them because he's not been in situations where he has to make something up on the fly all that often, where he has to create his own plays uh, in the passing game, at least on his legs. He can, he's fine in that regard, but I think the passing game is going to be definitely Notre Dame's focus in, in uh, this week leading up to the game, because that's the biggest, the easiest area that they can exploit. Especially with the lack of consistency and generally the lack of health at the offensive line for FSU because there have been guys who've gone down and we can get into a whole lot of that. But let's quickly do some predictions for this one. Austin, you got it first. Okay. I've been hinting at it a little bit. I think that Notre Dame is going to take this one. I also, uh, alongside Gary, do not think it's going to be as crazy as the 21-point the margin is. I'm thinking Notre Dame 24 or 34, rather, Florida State 20. So a, a comfortable 14-point win for the Fighting Irish. Matt, who do you got? Uh, I'm going to go with the same. I don't think FSU is going to be able to pull the upset, but I believe that FSU is going to have a strong showing offensively, and we're going to be able to take that as a positive. I think Notre Dame wins this game 38, FSU 31. Okay. Wow, 31. I was not expecting that's, a 30 spot in South Bend this that's, weekend. It's a competitive game. But I'm pretty sure Austin read my prediction on the document. I got 35-21 Notre Dame in this one. Real close on this one. We'll see who gets the, It's what's it called? It's the uh, game show. I can't remember its name at the moment. The... Prices right. Prices, yes. Oh, yeah, Thank yeah. you, Sebastian. It's the prices right. One of us is trying to outprice the other <laughs> at the moment in time. Sebastian, do you got a quick score before we go to break? I suppose. I mean, I, I think you guys are severely overestimating the capabilities of Florida State's defensive line. Yep. And with that in mind, I, I, th- I think it's going to be well over 30 points for Ooh. for Notre Dame. I Very think possible. I'm thinking like a 38 uh, 21 scoreline. We're all high on Jordan Travis right now. Let us keep riding this one. But that's all we got for this first half. Matt, thank you for joining us for this first half. It was a great first half of the show. And you are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. It is 32. Should I see me and the ranking dress? Check out what Jamie Lent is. Love is all I bring. In a Mikaki suit and tip. Now, partner style. I strictly rules. Now, partner style. We are back. This is Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. For the second half of the show, Matt Poptak is out, and now we got Max Rundy in now. He's a V89 rookie. How are you doing, Max? I'm doing great. How's everything going? We're doing great up here. We're having a great time with this first half of the show. And before we get a little bit into the playoff talk, I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, do a little thing on Coach Bowden for Florida State. He recently tested positive as of today after being released from the hospital after a leg infection. According to Jim Henry of the Tallahassee Democrat and former Tomahawk Talk host, now WCTV uh, morning host Michael Hudak, 
They both say he's feeling fine and as um, he will be retested today. We just wanted to send our well wishes to Coach Bowden and hope that him and his family stay safe through this tough time. Really scary stuff. I mean, like, especially for a man of his age, I was not... I, I got a little bit worried when I saw that this morning. Yeah, I mean, he is 90 years old. He is right in that demographic where COVID is the, the most lethal. So obviously, well wishes to him, uh, hoping for a speedy recovery. Exactly. So let's get a little bit into the MLB playoffs as we kind of turn a corner here. All of our teams made it, including Max as well, because Max, you are a Tampa Bay Rays fan, correct? Yes, that is correct. So we got two Rays fans and we got Marlins and Braves. All of them are in as we move through this one, the uh, Reds nearly, I mean, that game, that's your, okay, that game one for the Braves was very close. I mean, I, when 13 <laughs> innings, I thought the Reds were going to be able to pull that out, but they just did not have the timely hitting that should exist in a baseball in a game. Yeah, I mean, down the stretch, they had the bases loaded twice, and I was thinking, okay, they're just going to pile two, three runs on here in extra innings, and we're not going to be able to do anything on our side of the inning, and that's just going to be that. Game two, this team might fall apart, might lose their X amount of playoff series in a row, and the 19-year streak is going to turn into a, into 20 years without a playoff win. But the Reds were just unable to do anything with runners in scoring position, which is obviously the key to winning games, especially in the postseason. So I, I don't know how they managed to strand so many runners on base. Uh, I don't know how the Braves managed to pitch 22 shutout innings. If anything, I would have expected that from the Reds and Trevor Bauer and their incredible pitching staff, but... I will absolutely take this win, and I am super excited for the divisional series against your Marlins starting tomorrow. Let's. I'm excited for that one too. Max and Sebastian. We'll start with Max on this one. Max, what was your assessment of the two game or the yeah the two game sweep of the Toronto Blue Jays from a Rays perspective? There, I mean, you guys looked solid in that whole series. It never. I don't think you was ever in doubt that the Rays would lose this series. I would say I wasn't in doubt, but I was just a little worry just in the sense that any team can win any baseball game it just takes one p- good pitching performance and your team's not going to win it's just it's baseball it's just tough but i mean all we needed was the pitching and a little bit of run support and we were fine and that's exactly what we got so sweet sebastian what was your assessment of that rays series their first series of the playoffs in 2020 the Rays, uh, over the course of this brief season, this uh, contracting season, uh, did in fact dunk on on the Jays. I think out of the <laughs> three teams um, that they dunked on the hardest, I mean, naturally it's their upcoming uh, opponent in the ALDS. Um, the the Yankees, with I believe, which was the most lopsided matchup, but the but the Jays were were comfortably in the back pocket of the uh, of the Jays, or I'm sorry, of the Rays. Uh, and it's difficult. Um, all the way through the season, I, I was never really concerned. There's, you have like this very very young core, which is something that's not new to to a Rays um, a Rays fan or a Rays watcher. Um, that you can find in uh, Toronto, but at the same time, it, there was nobody on that um, in that lineup that I was like, I'm really worried that this dude is going to go thermonuclear and he's going to wash out my team in two day in two games. Uh, I just didn't see that uh, from Toronto at any point in the series um, and or any point in the season. I, th- uh, I think Toronto's a few years away from getting to that point, exact. especially with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Biggio, and all those guys. They're going to be dangerous soon, but they just don't have that pitching right now and that experience at the plate. I think you hit the nail on the head when you when you said that the um, that Toronto did not have the pitching. Toronto has one major piece mm-hmm. um, when it comes to pitching, but they still need a, a maybe one or two years of curement. And once they hit that kind of um, peak that I think we can all expect from them in 2022 at the earliest, I think that's when uh, Toronto is, uh, once again, a serious playoff threat. Um, real quick, I think I might be jumping the gun on you, um, but the uh, as you know, the, the Yankees have been up and down all year long. You know, they, they started phenomenally at 16-6, and six, then dropped all the way down to 21-21. and 21. And they've kind of been in the mix and recovering, and, and they've looked strong all the way through September. So this series is going to be seriously interesting to watch. I agree, because the Yankees are going to be a healthy club this time around, and that's something that they was, I believe they had 39 straight days this uh, regular season where they had a, uh, an injured list move or transaction mm-hmm. up or down from that. So They've been riddled with it all year long, but you all thought you could get rid of the Marlins, didn't you? You thought oh pinning God. them against the number three All right, Cubs, reset the clock. That it's would been be zero it. minutes the... since Gary has been smug posting about the Marlins. <laughs> Definition of overachieving. 
Hey, exactly. You thought you could get rid of the Marlins, and you can't. They are here to stay, and they got the Braves in this series. I think we've got—I'm sorry to cut you off mm-hmm. there, Gary, but I think we've got the strangest thing in postseason, postseason baseball history. The Marlins are both playing and not playing with house money, if you think about it. They're playing— What they're do you not mean? Play, not, whoa, whoa, whoa. We, the Marlins hang on, are hang playing on. with house money. They're not, <laughs> hang on, hang on. Okay, so the Marlins are absolutely not playing with house money because they've got a reputation to uphold. You make the playoffs as the Marlins. You win the World Series as the Marlins. Um, a flawless record so far in this. Um, uh, a flawless record so playoff re- uh, series uh, record so far. Uh, now you've got to keep that. On the sa- on the flip side, everybody's sleeping on the Marlins. Everybody's sleeping on the fishes, not sleeping with the fishes. And because of that, uh, you are kind of playing with house money. Where it's like nobody's expecting you to do much. Nobody's expecting you to go far. You are facing the might of Atlanta sports. But at the same the time. The might of Atlanta yeah, playoff postseason say. sports, which isn't doesn't always have the best of luck except when it comes to the MLS. But you got nothing to lose. Talking about for the Marlins and playing with house money, they really are. Because if they lose a five-game series... They're still undefeated in seven-game series. I mean, I just keep moving the goalposts. You just keep moving the goalposts. Undefeated in World Series appearances. (laughs) You can't stop us. So that's the thing. So I'm excited about the Marlins. It's going to be a lot of fun, regardless if they win or lose. I've just enjoyed the ride as a Marlins fan, and especially because they've gotten to this point earlier than expected. But let's talk about Mm -hmm. some of the other series. I believe I didn't even see. I completely forgot the Astros are playing right now. They actually won. They actually came back and won. Yeah, Yeah, it's 10 to 5. 10 to 5. I mean... Okay, so this gets to my point here. This proves that the Astros are here and they're on a revenge tour. They want to prove all the haters wrong, and I'm here for it. I I enjoy watching this, watching them play in this angry fashion. To, to that, I say, like proving proving them what? Like you you cheat. We know you cheated. Like but, what are you trying to prove? Oh, you're not good without cheating. No, we we know you you could hit without cheating. It's just you won a World Series off of cheating. I mean, I kind of want them to just do this just to. I don't know, because it's kind of you, funny. You want the, you you want the, the heel. You were the only non-Astros the fans. Oh, I'm not an Astros yeah. What was that, Max? They should lose everything. They've cheated for three full years. And Thank you. Cheated in probably the most egregious way you can cheat in baseball, knowing the pitch is way more than anything like steroids. It's I'm, I'm all egregiously in, unfair. Okay, so I'm on the side of that they should have the asterisk. They should be removed, of the, stripped of that World Series title. But how funny, or just how, in like, how crazy would it be that they would just come back and win this weird season World Series? And in a way, like, it doesn't, you can, because you could always go back and say, oh, well, that one doesn't count. It was a 60-game season. So it's the perfect one for them to win. It's an asterisk season for the asterisks. It's, it's, it's the perfect one for them to win, but nobody wants them to win nobody it outside of me. Houston and you. It would just further prove that God hates the AL West. Yes. God hates the Mariners. <laughs> God hates the A's. God especially hates the Angels. Wow, that sounds... That sounds ironic. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, yeah, so, okay, let's get into these series. So let's start with the—we uh, talked touched a little bit on the Rays series because I think this is one everyone's going to be watching because it's the Yankees and it's the Rays. And a lot of people in Florida, they'll be watching because of the Rays. A lot of people in Florida will also be watching because it's the Yankees because a lot of uh, uh-huh. snowbirds come on down to Florida. If but, you're going to watch any game this postseason, tonight might be the game to watch, by the way. Uh, it's game one, like you're saying, it's game one of— um, Yankees Rays, but it is probably one of the best duels that we'll get all season. Mm-hmm. I, Garrett Cole, Blake Snell. It's going to be a ton of fun, Max. What do you? What are your thoughts on this series heading into Game One this evening? The one thing I like to point out to all the Yankee fans I know is the fact that Garrett Cole struggled against the Rays this year, and not like a little bit. He really did struggle. He had three starts against them was 0-1 and had an ERA around 5. Like, this is not someone you should be paying $200 million for the lowest or one of the lowest payrolls to just dominate. Like, 8-2 and two season record, it's – I'm not that worried. They have the best talented roster maybe behind the Dodgers, but I just got to hope and pray they're not just waiting for the playoffs to come around and actually try. If there's any team that's purpose-built for the playoffs, though, you could you could say it's the Yankees. Oh, I, I'm, I'm not one Yankees. to homer for the Yankees by any means. I'm I'm holding myself back from gagging as I'm saying this, but um, they had like the Bronx has a murderer's row this year, absolutely. <laughs> and now that all those bats are healthy, it, it's going to be like, the moment they get hot, and whether whether it's in the first, the third, the seventh, or the ninth. 
it's it's always a matter of you know it's just one good hit and and they're gonna go. My one tip to really stop this Yankees team is slider away. That's really it. At least to stop Stanton, in my opinion, from watching him for however long or front since 2011 in Miami. But uh, another series that we should probably get to is the Dodgers Padres. That's something that I've been excited for. I've been excited yes. to watch the San Diego Padres in this playoffs. I'm excited to watch the Dodgers too because they are one of these premier teams, and they the. The Dodgers got through this series against the Brewers without yeah. really any sort of problem and any issue. The Padres, on the other hand, had a bit of a struggle. They went down early in the series. They lost game one to the Cardinals, and then they came back, and they were able to take the next two games. So this team's really showing some serious fight in them, and I really expect them to give an, a good series and a good fight up to the Dodgers. I completely agree. I think the the Padres have been one of the best stories this season. Uh, when you look at having to bring in a new manager, uh, the play of, of Tatis Jr., he's been a, a legitimate NL MVP candidate. I still think Freddie Freeman gets the nod, even though, I mean, Atlanta bias, but he's been great this season. So just being able to see their lineup go up against the stacked lineup of the Dodgers, it's going to be a spectacle. I do expect it to be a, a Dodgers win, probably 3-1, but I think it'll be a lot closer than people are expecting. I don't know. I kind of think the Padres might have the hitting to get really? them through this. Okay. And I mean, Kershaw, is he going to be able to step up in the playoffs? That's exactly. the question. It's every single year. It's every single time we bring up the Dodgers in the playoffs. Chris Camacho knows. Blake <laughs> Devine knows. All of our Dodger friends know this. But it's a, just a huge question mark. And especially, this is going to be interesting. The NLDS and NLCS and the World Series will all have fans in them. The AL playoff series now in the bubble because they're in California. The local government is not allowing fans in attendance. Texas, though, in Houston and Dallas will be allowing fans. Does this play into any effect for these teams here? Because maybe the Dodger or maybe the uh, Padres feed off this energy from the crowd because I think there'll be about eleven thousand people there. I think it could, yes, because I mean, there's going to be a small subset of fans that is willing to go to Texas from wherever they live to support their team. I think when it gets to the World Series, it's going to be a bit of a, a an edge for whichever team's uh, team comes out of the National League. Uh, not so much for the Division Series and Championship Series, but just just touching on the bubble right now, I think it's strange that uh, that teams were not the teams were not allowed to have attendance uh, for their first round series. Like the Braves did not allow people into the stadium. I think the, the same goes for other teams around the league, but. Like, as soon as the Braves clinched that series, I saw an announcement from the team on Twitter that said they will be allowing a limited number of fans into uh, Truist Field, or Truist Field, not uh, SunTrust, or Truist Park, there we go, um, just at, for a watch party for the Braves. So I thought it was kind of odd that they would allow that, but they wouldn't allow fans when the team was there. It's weird, because I did think it was going to be a local government kind of issue, kind of how the NFL's handling their attendance for this yeah. season. Because immediately once the season started for the MLB, the Miami Marlins sent out a plan for if and when fans are allowed, here's what we will be doing. And the Miami government really said, yeah, yeah, we're not really going to consider yeah. this because it's not going to happen at any point this year for South Florida. But, yeah, you make a good point there. But, Max, from the AL perspective, do you think that's going to be a big factor in just in terms of, like, the bubble? I agree. I just think this bubble is just so weirdly done. Yes. I just... I'm so confused with how the fans would play a factor because I'm personally a fan or a believer that fans in baseball, they're there and you can acknowledge them, but it's pretty avoidable, I would say. But besides being like on deck and next to the dugout, like you should, at least as a pitcher and hitter, should be pretty generally fine. I think the biggest thing will happen with like those crazy momentum swinging home runs that we saw in like that wild Dodgers Astros. Uh, World Series, like, mm -hmm. so often you guys, we saw home runs that were just momentum shifting for the entire series, and I just think fans will add so much to that. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, especially for when Fernando Tatis goes off. Those, he's going to be the one guy that I'm happy there will be fans there to watch and react to. So, I mean, let's get to the last one that we really care about in this postseason. Mm -hmm. Marlins Braves. Yes. What are your thoughts, Austin? My thoughts are that the Braves had a huge stroke of luck by pitching 22 shutout innings against the Reds. You are not going to be able to replicate that that success for the rest of the playoffs, and maybe ever, really. Like, that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, especially with this shaky rotation that the Braves have. 
I mean, Max Fried and Ian Anderson did, did a great job. Max Fried developed into a legitimate ace by the end of the regular season. But this is about the time where my Braves are going to start missing Mike Soroka because you need great pitching, great starting pitching. I mean, the Graves have a, the, the Graves. The Braves have a great bullpen, one of the best in baseball. Yeah, Graves hopefully not indicative of the Braves' fate in this series. <laughs> Foreshadowing. No, nah, no. Nah. But the, the bullpen is great. The starting pitching is what worries me because once you get past Freed, if, if Snicker leaves him in there for a little longer, which he's been known to do sometimes, he can get a little shaky, uh, wait too long to pull him. So I think I think it's going to be a, a fun series. I'm just worried that the Braves' pitching is going to fall apart. Well, pitching is my worry, too, for the Marlins, especially just due to the youth that they have in pitching and in postseason experience. Sandy and Six, though, are the only two starters for the Marlins since 2003 to play in the postseason. Right. Uh, Sixto was the first uh, pitcher, first starting pitcher for the Marlins since Josh Beckett to throw a shutout in his uh, postseason start. And so... When you have this guy, I mean, Sixto, he gave up a bit. He did not look good in there, his last start against Atlanta a few weeks ago. And now he comes out and he throws well against the Cubs. Sandy pitched extremely well against the Cubs as well. And the bullpen did not uh, did not blink when it got faced up against Rizzo, Bryant, uh, Javi Baez. And that's something that I really had a lot of confidence in. But the one thing that concerns me is that the Marlins really weren't able to score any runs outside of home runs and that's yeah. something the Marlins haven't done all year we own the Marlins play small ball generally they are thinking on the base paths they're trying to steal bases they're trying to make the pitcher and the catcher worry about something other than the hitter and the Marlins hit three home runs in this series four home runs I believe actually and the Marlins just aren't used to that so being sustainable in the home run aspect is going to be the biggest worry and I hope that the Marlins can get back to some of their small ball ways because it can work and it does work so that's going to be a lot of fun in that series, but expect I, I'm gonna I think the Marlins got a good chance in this one. I don't think you got to count you can't count out the bottom feeders. You you can't count out that seven and zero playoff series magic. That's that's bottom that's feeders. honestly what worries me. Oh Max, did you just scoff at the bottom feeders? Are you call are you I calling the Marlins that. bottom no, feeders? I heard that in the announcing last series, and I just think that's the funniest thing to be calling them because that's exactly what I would have called them before the season. Yeah, and now they're just playing like. Crazy well, their pitching went off against the Cubs. Exactly, that's Mar- Marlins postseason magic. I just realized is the only thing that can break devil magic. <laughs> well, m- do you know what Miami, the city of Miami's nickname is? Vice City. No, the Mi- the Magic City. So oh. there's a reason. Ah, oh, see now everyone's like, ah, oh, yeah, Marlins got a little bit of magic behind them, but it's all, it's all coming together. See, for exactly. Reason, I thought that was Orlando because of the magic. No, but yeah, no. And Disney World and Universal, no, yes. no, so Miami, Miami is the magic city. But let's get on to now some NFL talk because they are going through this. A lot of things that the MLB went through early on. The Marlins, especially, the Marlins had 18 guys go down to COVID in the season, and they had to take off a week of their whole season to start the year. And then the Cardinals went through the same sort of thing. They had, I think, a longer break. They I think they were about two weeks. So the NFL is now beginning to experience this. And the problem is with the NFL, what the MLB didn't really have a problem with, the MLB had 60 games to play. The NFL has 16, and that is a lot less in the grand scheme of things. And this past week, we saw the Titans come up with seven positives, I believe five coaches, two players. And then the Patriots are starting to experience some positives on their own, especially to their the one big name, Cam Newton, their starting quarterback. They pushed their game to tonight. It was supposed to be played on Sunday. I believe they're actually playing right now. Game started about uh, yes, 20 minutes ago. But they're in Kansas City playing right now. They took two planes, a plane of possible positives and a plane of confirmed negatives. I believe once they landed, they all tested, they all got their test back, and there are no more positives. So that's great to hear out of New England. But the Patriots are now forced to be starting Brian Hoyer because Jared Stidham is hurt. Brian Hoyer is now is 0-10 in his last 10 starts, and he's going up against Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. So is how bad do you think this could get for the NFL? And should they maybe consider going to the bubble once they get to the postseason like the NBA has done, the MLB is starting to do now, and MLS did at the beginning? I think a postseason bubble is probably the most feasible idea because, I mean, it's been stated a million times when, when people were critiquing the NFL's coronavirus protocols. They were saying, why aren't you doing a bubble for the entire season? Well, because that is literally thousands of people that you have to keep in one contained location. Teams of 53 plus practice squad, plus head coaches, plus equipment managers, etc. The list just adds on and on, and you would have to find 
way too many hotels to to house all those all those players and people. But for right now, I think the NFL is going to proceed as planned. I'm when the schedule was first released, I heard talk about the NFL having uh, flexible scheduling measures in place so that they could just like scrap a week of games and then tack that onto the back of, of the regular season, just postpone the playoffs for however, however many weeks as needed. So if another outbreak does occur, uh, a Titans-esque outbreak does occur, then I think we could legitimately see the NFL say, we are pausing play for one or two or th- even three weeks, and we're just backloading those games onto the back of the regular season, and the Super Bowl, Super Bowl we played in, like, March. Well, one thing that I saw, I think this was a rumor that came out today, is that the NFL could just pause for two weeks or whatever. If things start to get bad in the next couple of weeks, they pause, and then they just shave games off. And so instead of a 16-game season, maybe they're playing an 11-game season right. like a lot of college teams are. Max, would you like to see that happen if worse comes to worse, a, just a shaved-down NFL season and then the postseason to begin right where it usually would in the Super Bowl to happen, hopefully in February in Tampa Bay? Well, I, I just was under the mindset for this entire season that NFL just it was not feasible to play 16 full games without a bubble and the doing a bubble is not feasible either but I think I truly do think they might be able to get like eight or ten good games in without COVID really screwing things up too bad there'll definitely be some bye weeks for like a lot of teams I feel like but uh I think it'll work I think they'll get to the bubble they'll do their bubble or sorry they'll get to the playoffs and do their playoff bubble i just think it's gonna we're gonna have to have a lot of patience this football season well we know if they're going to do a bubble they're most likely be doing it out of stadium probably indoors and that has astroturf so we can already uh, cross off metlife off the astroturf (laughs) fields list and so it would probably leave us to just houston atlanta houston actually has turf or real grass uh new la they would give it to la for sure Mm -hmm. we all know that and then minnesota indianapolis and a few others here and there but um, I don't know. It's it's going to be a flexible and fluid situation. I really am surprised that they made it four weeks, and now they're just starting to get it. And I'm really even surprised that the Titans only had seven confirmed yes. positives, which is amazing considering baseball. We saw the Marlins get ravaged by, like I said, 18. And in a game of at a contact sport, they only had two players and five coaches. Understandably, the coaches are in a smaller, clean, uh, condensed space for a lot more time. But the players were actually able to stay safe, which I'm very happy to see and very and not really too happy to see Cam Newton go down because I was looking forward to this game uh, on Sunday. But instead, we get to see the much anticipated Brian Hoyer game of this season. So I don't know actually the score. What's the score in that game right now? Uh, let me go check, uh, actually. 6-0. Hoyer already threw an interception, too. <laughs> I was hoping it was going to be 6 nothing. Hoyer already threw a touchdown. I was thinking that's what you were going to say. <laughs> but either way, I mean, it's going to be a wild ride as we continue to move on through this NFL season. But before we get to the end of this one, I, we got to mention the NBA playoffs. Yep. It's starting to get hot. It's start, The heat is on, in a way. Let's just say that. The heat is on. And Jimmy Butler was on last night. 40 points, triple-double, 11, re- 11 assists, 13 rebounds. I mean... The guy, like like Tyler Heroes, Tyler Heroes is a walking bucket. Jimmy Butler was a bucket last night. So it was a great game from the Heat. They were actually able to come back and show some guts in this one. And I think the biggest reason was AD was able to get in foul trouble early. And without that, the Heat don't win any game this year. Sebastian, what do you got? I just have one significant thing to add to this conversation. That's the fact that Jimmy Butler scored zero points from beyond the arc. That was exclusively shots from the mid-range. That is reminiscent of his airness. And I am incredibly grateful that this transpired last night. I was about to say, thank you, Jimmy Bucket. Wasn't the last time, I believe it was the last time somebody scored 40 points in a playoff game without a three-pointer was Shaq. And, I mean, that would make sense. I mean, he also... That makes sense. So, yeah. What do you does this change any of your predictions possibly for this series, Max? We can start with you because we don't even know what your prediction was at the beginning of this one. I had the Lakers in six. I had it going two games to the Lakers, two games to the Heat, two games to the Lakers. So so far, I'm still doing well. I also would like to point out: please never speak of Jimmy Butler and the goat in the same conversation <laughs> or even the sentence. I said and, it was uh, reminiscent. Yeah, Wait, I, t- I never went one to one with the great Jimmy one. I Butler's clutch and just attitude. I mm-hmm. hated him going into the playoffs. He dismantled my Bucks, <laughs> but man, does he have a heart! 
Oh, that's why we love him in Miami. He's got that heat culture to him. So, I mean, mm-hmm. oh, he's he's a ton of fun to watch. I, but one... I think you don't remember this man's origins, though. This man started out in Chicago yeah. and learned uh, what... Um, Learned from certain players in Chicago what uh, the winning attitude and a Dwayne uh, Wade. perpetual drive to win was. Dwayne Don, Wade. I think he was. I th- <laughs> he played no, with Dwayne Wade. He <laughs> played with Dwayne Wade? Yeah, mm-hmm. Dwayne Wade. Exactly. You, and you know where he's from? Yeah. Miami. Miami. And also Marquette, where both of them also played college ball. Yeah. But Jimmy Butler learned that from an early time because he went to Juco before he went to Marquette. So, I mean, this guy's been grinding all of his life. He's one of those guys that plays with that heart and that attitude that you love to see. And he stepped in. I saw LeBron. John at uh, Tyler Hero after a play, and Tyler and Jimmy saw that and stepped in because like Tyler was walking with his back to LeBron, letting the letting the hater talk and just go on. But Jimmy stepped in and went at LeBron, and that's someone that's going to fight for your team day in and day out, and that's something I love to see out of my teams. Yeah, I mean he's he's one of my favorite players for that reason alone, or not that reason alone, but primarily for that reason. He has people's backs. He is a walking bucket. People call him Jimmy buckets, and that's completely warranted. But his personality on the court, his drive to win, that is so admirable. And I, I think he obviously is going to be the key going forward for Miami to stay in this series. Um, I, I had it going six as well. Maybe not the same game-by-game game breakdown as Max, but I mean it, it's still in line with my prediction. I think the Heat are going to be able to take one more. Probably not in as virtuoso level in, uh, a performance from Jimmy Butler, but I mean, he has been keeping the Heat alive in this series, keeping game two close and being their key to win game three. So it's it's been great to see. I love him. I still got heat in seven. I ain't moving course, from this. I'm not I'm not getting off that soapbox. But I believe that's all we got for Tomahawk Talk. We are running up on the eight o'clock hour here. So for Austin, for Sebastian, for Max, for Matt, and for Bell, thank you for tuning in to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee. We will see you next week.